Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. Well, good morning. Any church that serves breakfast, I say bless them. I said last night, if I'm a heathen and I live in Cory or somewhere close by, Sunday morning you're going to find me right here at 9 o'clock. I'm going to fill my belly. If I fill my belly enough on that food, sooner or later I might open up my ears and my heart and my life might get changed. You got to bring them in the door, folks. It's the number one thing you do. Listen, yeah, I've written lots of books. Oh, my goodness. Um, too many books, quite frankly. There's a book table back there. We try to be in competition with Amazon and Walmart. We're pretty good. The books are $15. I'll tell you, quite frankly, the books are life changers. The book Sheet Music is a book that every couple should read. Any couple that's getting married should read that sucker a few times before you say those I do's. The book uh, Have a New Kid by Friday is a New York Times bestseller. Well, as an author, you don't get to have New York Times bestsellers because you're up against Oprah and every starlet that ever came out with a new book. And uh, the bookstores are jammed with these uh, uh, predestined bestsellers. So if you write a book that hits the New York Times bestseller list and it's a Christian-based book, there's something special about it. But the interesting thing about Have a New Kid by Friday is this. Uh, If you're a business person, you own a small business, you work at a corporation, the principles in that book work because they're godly principles. Today we're talking about a book uh, called The Way of the Wise. Now, believe it or not, I wrote this puppy in 54 days from beginning to end. I'll never forget the conversation I had with the publisher. And I said, hey, the book is on its way. And the uh, editor said, what? I said, the book's on the way. What do you mean on the way? I said, it's done. And she said, it's done. She said, you're kidding me. I said, no. She said, it must have just flown, flowed from your heart. Well, here's the scripture we're going to focus on this morning. It's familiar scripture. And it did flow from my heart. Because it's the scripture that my mother wrote in my Bible as a little kid. Now, what you have to understand is I had no appreciation for the Bible. And I had no appreciation for these words I'm about to read to you. But these words helped change my life. Isn't it interesting as a parent, you pour things into your kids and you wonder if it's ever going to come to fruition. My mom had a wall hanging she put in my bedroom as a little kid. It went like this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I have to tell you, as a kid growing up, I hated that sucker. (laughs) I was embarrassed to have it in my room. I just repeated it for you verbatim, didn't I? You know, it's interesting how life goes. As a parent... We talked last night about being authoritarian. You just can't tell your kids to have faith. You have to live faith. Kids catch faith. As I said last night, they take emotional and spiritual notes on how we live our life. But anyway, here's the scripture. I want you just to sit back and listen to it. Do not forget my teaching. And by the way, this is King Solomon speaking, okay, who was the smartest king of them all, they say. Anybody want to cut a baby in half? I won't go into that this morning, but nevertheless, the guy knew what he was talking about. Do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, let me point out to you that Solomon uses the word paths. It's plural. Everybody in this room has a story. 
And all of us have many paths, not just one path in life. But this, these little, uh, this little scripture is downright powerful. And what you have to understand why it took me just 54 days to complete this book, and it did flow from my heart. In fact, I'm going to read that scripture again for you in just a second. But it all goes back to my upbringing. I had a mom, uh, God bless her, who prayed for me every day of my life. Okay, I would come down in the morning, and there she was. She was either reading her Bible or her head was bowed in prayer. And she loved Jesus. And she loved her three kids. She loved me more than the other two, but I try not to say that publicly. I was the baby of the family for sure. But if there's one thing I didn't want to be in life, I mean, she dragged me to church. I knew all those Bible stories. Uh, I did my best to avoid that as best I could. And uh, I didn't do real well in school. I graduated fourth in my class. Unfortunately, it was fourth in the bottom and not fourth in the top. That was the problem. In fact, do you remember those reading groups we had when we were little kids? We'd sit around in those little chairs in a circle. Well, back in my day, they had names for those groups. And we know who we were. There were the red birds, the blue birds, the yellow birds. I was a crow. We knew who we were. In fact, one of my vivid memories is sitting next to a little girl. Do you remember those white jars of paste that are about three inches tall? That was part and parcel to elementary education. And one of my vivid memories is sitting there and looking to the girl to my left. Her name was Barbara. And she took her index finger and she got it down in that paste and she's eating the paste, looking at me. And I remember thinking, I know I don't belong in this group. <laughs> but God bless the school system. They had this wonderful way of finding the calls of society. And you heard last night, I had a sister who was a straight-A student, a brother who was straight-A student. Well, I shrunk myself. I figured myself out. I was the attention getter, I was the class clown, wild bird calls, I mean, I had some voices, uh, I mean, I, I was an entertaining little sucker when I was little. And um, so that's how I com compensated for having these two very bright little stars above me. Well, consequently, I was sort of what they call a slow learner. Reading wasn't my thing. And so I just floundered through school. Well, like all things, you end up paying for it sooner or later. And they pushed me ahead every year uh, through something we call social promotion. You're another year older, so they're going to put you in another grade, which let me point out to you is rampant today and is a disrespectful thing to do to kids. In Tucson, Arizona, where I live, the big school district in town took 900 eighth graders who flunked everything, and they put them in the freshman year. And they think that's doing the kids a favor. No. If I was the administrator, if I was the king of the czar of education, if a kid flunked first grade, he would stay there until he passed first grade. Yes, he could be 17. I understand the social implications of that. But he could also help drive on the field trip. So you have to look at the positive side of that. But the point is that we, we just are so far removed from holding anybody accountable for anything. But I'm here to tell you that the God we worship this morning, the God we sang praises to, he's going to hold you and I accountable for what we do on this life. And that's a little frightening because we know how imperfect we are. So anyway, uh, like I say, the world came to an abrupt halt for me when in my senior year, everybody was talking about going away to college, going on to a university. What was I going to do? I wasn't going anywhere. So April of my senior year, I show up at my guidance counselor's office. And I said to him, I said, Mr. Messino, I too want to go on to college, on to a university. <laughs> he pulled on his glasses. I'll never forget this moment like this. He said, Lehman, with your grades and your record in this school, I couldn't get you admitted to reform school. And he pushed his glasses back. And I remember thinking, this guy's a counselor? 
But the reality is, Charlie Messino had every right to say every word he said to me. Because I had SAT scores with the zero percentile. I had failing grades. Back in, in New York State, when you flunked an exam, but they wanted to get rid of you, they gave you a 65, and then they circled it to make sure you knew that you really didn't pass. But that's what they did on so many of my classes. In New York State, they have what they call regents examinations. I never took a one of them, not one. I took school exams and flunked those. So I was a loser going no place. And I shared part of this last night, but a woman, her name was Miss Wilson, never had kids. She's what we referred to years ago as an old maid school teacher. I found out later the woman was a Christian. She loved Jesus. But she was the one that pulled me aside. I shared this last night. And she said, Kevin, you ever think maybe you could use those skills you have for something positive? And she was the one that God used to trigger something coming alive in my life. And so I applied to colleges and universities that you've never heard of. None of them wanted me. I applied to Florida State University because I heard they were a party school. I applied to the University of Buffalo, which was a neighboring school. They didn't want me. I applied to their night school. They didn't want me. Um, our church denominational school located in Chicago, Illinois, they turned me down. I even sent them scripture about forgiveness. <laughs> that didn't work. Well, I'll tell you a funny story. I came home from school one day, and my brother Jack, who in life became a clinical psychologist, Ph.D., had written a note on my mother's stationery, Mrs. John Lehman. I can still see it. And he wrote it in pencil. And there were crossed-out sections of it and all that. But I read it, and I thought, holy crow, that's really a nice letter about his little brother. And he was writing a letter to this college in Chicago that prefers to be nameless. And uh, he said, you should really give my young kid brother a chance. I think he can do it. Well, I didn't know it was a rough copy. But I read it, and I was so excited to see it, I found a stamp, which I think was about six cents back in those days, and I mailed it. Well, again, they turned me down. But nine days before the, sem the semester started, they relented. They let me in on probation. And as I mentioned last night, fear was a great motivator. I went on and eked out a C-minus average. Proof of the living God. Now, in this point in my life, I couldn't have cared less about God. I had no relationship with God. Okay? I'm just a punk 19-year-old kid. I went back in the spring semester or the uh, winter's quarter so I could be eligible to play baseball. And during that quarter, uh, I stole the conscience fund, which is just a long story. We're not going to go into it. I shared part of it. But uh, long story short, the dean of students hauls me into his office, asks me if I know anything about it. I lie through my teeth. I tell him I know nothing about it. And he decides that it would be a good time for me to go back to Arizona. So he throws me out of school. My parents had moved from Buffalo to Tucson, Arizona. So there I am, 19 years old, smoking my Salem cigarettes. I'm thinking I'm about as cool as a 19-year-old can be. And I need a job. And I want a, you know, I want a nice job. I want a junior executive position somewhere. Well, I couldn't find that, so I took the only job that was offered to me, and that was a janitor's job in a hospital. I had a uniform with a cross broom and a mop. That does something for your self-esteem, trust me, at 19. But for 19 months or so, I worked there, and my, my life literally changed in a day. I was holding a mop in the main building of the hospital, and this, all of a sudden, I see this chick, this 5-foot, 9-inch chick, walking down the hallway with this little yellow uniform with white tennis shoes. Now, ladies, I'm going to show you a male skill. Watch. Whoa, where did she come from? I paid another janitor $5. I found out what unit she worked on, but I paid another janitor $5, which was a lot of money back then, to introduce me to this chick. Well, that same day, and I'm not making this up, I'm swabbing down the men's room 
okay, with a wet mop. And who should walk in the door but my future bride in the men's room. She's helping some little old guy go potty. And I saw her come in and I said to myself, oh, it's her, it's her. Say something stupid, say something. And trust me, I was always good at saying stupid things. And so she walked in and the first words I ever spoke to my wife were these words. I said, pardon me, would you have to go to the World's Fair with me? Well, the World's Fair was in New York City. This is Tucson, Arizona. I'm making $195 a month. And she was always a smarter one of the two of us. So when I asked her that question, she said, uh, well, I, I don't know. I said, how about lunch then? And so we went to McDonald's. And we split a 20-cent cheeseburger and a 10-cent Coke, 32 cents total. How many of you are old enough to remember the 15-cent burger? Where are you? Yeah, you're going to die soon. <laughs> that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Wow. But you know what? I mean, I, I didn't know. I never met a chick like this in my life. She just exuded something. I didn't know what it was. But, man, I, I, I was in love. I was in love. I walked along, man. I was walking happy. And the very next day, uh, we dated. We dated every night we saw each other. We'd come to the hospital before we started our 7 o'clock shifts, and we'd sneak a little kissy in the hallway before we went to our units. I mean, I'm in love. Three and a half months we're dating, and she pops the question. And she says, would you like to go to church with me? And I remember thinking, holy cow. Forgive me for that lie, Lord. Holy cow. She's one of them. If there's one thing I didn't want to do, it was hang out with one of them. So what do you say to this chick, gentlemen, you're falling in love with? And she says, would you like to go to church with me? Again, you lie through your teeth. You said, well, yeah, I was just thinking about going to church. <laughs> I'd love to go to church. I remember sitting in her church thinking, no chick is worth this. This is brutal. And then she wanted me to come back at night. Now, I ask you, why would you want me to come back at night? I didn't do it right the first time. So, but that Sunday night, that pastor was talking about the person who knew who God was, who Jesus was, in his head. But he didn't know who he was in his heart. Now listen, one more time. I want you to listen for the word heart. Do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years, bring you prosperity let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Humor me for a second and point to yourself quickly. Everybody point to yourself. And where do we point to? We point to our heart. You know, my friend Chuck Swindoll, maybe some of you have been blessed by his ministry. I've known Chuck for years. Got a great sense of humor, funny guy, and a great Bible teacher. But he tells a story about going into a seventh grade uh, boys' Sunday school class. They're an interesting group. And he asked the question, uh, what's green and says ribbit? Nobody says a word. Not a word. Chuck says, hey, come on. What's green and says ribbit? One kid pops up. He says, well, I think it's a frog, but I'll say Jesus. <laughs> you know, that's the mentality of some people. You know, we're in church, so the answer's got to be Jesus. no. We're in church. The answer to that question is a frog, okay? So that young kid didn't connect the dots. 
And somehow there's a lot of people walking around this earth that don't connect the dots. The heathens believe that billions of years ago, check this out, amino acids got together in space. And from that, we got horses, centipedes, donkeys, and you and me. Now, let me tell you, those heathens are people of great faith. 700 years before the birth of Christ, we see it prophesied in God's word. A thousand years before Jesus utters the words on the cross, we see them in his holy word. Is God who he says he is? For sure. But there's a huge difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. It's easy to have the head knowledge, but once you have the heart knowledge, your life gets changed. You become a new person. Do you become a perfect person? No, you're still flawed to the core. More about that later. My little granddaughter, Adeline, was probably six years old, and I was tucking her in. And by the, by the way, is there a difference in how long it takes grandma to tuck in a grandchild? And grandpa, it takes my wife hours to tuck a child in. I can tuck a kid in in seven seconds. In fact, we sell at the book table Dr. Lehman's ether cloths. They're very good. They go right to bed. Not a whimper out of those kids. But anyway, I'm tucking her in, and uh, she had lost a tooth. So all of a sudden comes the big question about the tooth fairy. And she comes and she says, Grandpa, Grampy, uh, well, what's the tooth fairy look like? Uh, uh, tooth, uh, tooth fairy? Uh, honey, that's, now that is a very good question. I mean, I'm scrambling like an NFL quarterback trying to figure out what I'm going to tell my little granddaughter. And, and I, I hit gold. All of a sudden I said, uh, oh, honey, I'll tell you what. Uh, tooth fairy looks just like Tinkerbell. Just like Tinkerbell. You know what that little six-year-old said? She said, thank you, Grampy. I love you, Grampy. Good night, Grampy. And she was gone. That's what you call childlike faith. You know, there's a young woman by the name of Mary. An angel came to her and said, you know, Mary, you're going to have a baby. You know what she said? She said, let everything you just said come true. That's childlike faith. That's what it takes to enter into heaven. That childlike faith that, yes, you are Lord. You are Lord. You are risen, and you are Lord. We sing that song at Easter. Because he lives, I can what? Face tomorrow. That is so true. I don't know how people get through life without Jesus. We're getting close to the Thanksgiving season. The autumn leaves are going to come before long. The Canadians celebrate Thanksgiving in October. We celebrate it in November. I heard this story, and I verified it. It was true. But a woman had called the Butterball Hotline. Do you know there's a Butterball Hotline? And the Butterball Turkey will help some young person who's probably never cooked a turkey in their life answer any questions about a turkey. Well, the call came in on the 800 number. Yes, I have a turkey that's been frozen for nine years, and I want to know if it's safe to eat. And so the young woman who was answering the phone said, well, I'm going to check with somebody. And she went and checked with somebody else, came back, said, well, I've checked. If it's been frozen for all those years, it's safe to eat. But just between you and me, I don't know if I'd take that chance. You know what the woman said on the other end? She said, you know what, I think I'll donate it to the church. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, folks, God doesn't want your crumbs. Our God wants the whole enchilada. He wants not just a few papas fritas, a few french fries. He wants everything. He wants us. He's a jealous God. He wants everything you have to give him. You know, in reading the Bible, I came across some people who are really just dumb as mud. And 
I always qualified this because these people who were dumb as mud, Jesus himself handpicked them. They were called the disciples. And in John 14, we have a very interesting piece of scripture where Jesus gets up and says to the disciples, hey, fellas, listen up. Hey, Peter, put your fork down, eyes up front. This is important. He says, I'm out of here. I'm leaving you. And you know where I'm going. (laughs) I love the scripture. These are people who walked and talked with Jesus. They saw him perform miracles before their very eyes. And Thomas says, "Uh, Lord, time out. We don't have the foggiest idea what you're talking about. And then Philip gets in the act. And Philip says, hey, good point, Tom. Uh, Yeah, show us the Father, and then we'll know. What does Jesus say to Philip? Philip, after all this time with me, you don't know who I am. If you've seen me, you've what? Seen the Father. Do you ever feel like you don't measure up? Like you're a failure? Let me assure you, you're in pretty good company. Because those disciples failed as well. You know, that, that Easter, when Jesus was brutally murdered, that Friday before Easter, where did you find those disciples? Were they parading the streets? No. They were behind closed doors. They were in fear of their very life. It's interesting. Dumb as mud. And yet they saw Jesus perform those miracles. I love the book of John. There's a wonderful scripture there in John 2. It's Jesus' first miracle at Cana in Galilee. I love this one. It applies to parenting. I've written lots of books on being a parent, but Jesus' mother's there and the disciples are there. And and they run out of vino. Now, I'm telling you, this wasn't Welch's grape juice, okay? This was vino. It was wine. And they ran out. And Jesus' mother comes to Jesus and he's and she says, Hey son, come here. They ran out of wine. Do your thing. What does Jesus say to his mother? He calls her woman. He says, woman? He sort of puts her in her place. What have you to do with me? Whoa. Now, what does Jesus' mother, Mary, say back to Jesus? What did you say? Do you hear you're talking to your little snot? Do you know I gave birth to you when I was 14 years of age? That's not what the scripture says. You talk about a smart Jewish mother, you know what she says? She turns to the servants and says, do whatever my son tells you to do. Did she know who Jesus was? Obviously. Obviously. Remember last night I talked about keeping the the tennis ball alive in the right court? You talk about a smart Jewish mother, what did she do? She hit that tennis ball right back in Jesus' court. I've asked theologians that question. Hey, I don't get it. Jesus clearly says no. Then he turns around and he changes the water and the wine. What gives? Chuck Swindoll says, Kevin, I don't know. I wrestled with that myself. He said, I think it was just an uncomfortable position for a host to run out of wine at a wedding. And by the way, the steward, when he tastes the wine, he says, you're different from most. This is top shelf stuff. And there's a lesson there for us, that Almighty God gave us his best, the finest, when he gave us the perfect one, Jesus. So that wine was top-shelf wine. It wasn't Ripple or whatever you buy down at 7-Eleven or Circle K. It was top-shelf stuff. And Almighty God loved us so much, he gave us the perfect one. Now, some of us, especially you firstborn and only-born children, gosh, you about kill yourself trying to be perfect. There's something I could just wave a wand and make you not so perfect driven. It would make me happy. Because I'm here to tell you you're destined for failure. You're not going to be perfect in anything you do. You're going to continue to fall short. Again, there was a guy named Paul. St. Paul calls himself wretched. 
If St. Paul is wretched, what are you? What am I? St. Paul's wretched? It was mentioned in Sunday school this morning. You know, I tell myself I'm not going to do these things, Paul says, and I do these things. Let me ask you, what day of the week do diets start on? Tomorrow, Monday. You're out to dinner on Saturday night. Here's the conversation. Hey, honey, no, I'm going down to Y. I'm going to start signing up for that health thing. I'm going to start working out a little bit. Uh, uh, Perry, uh, pass me that cherry cheesecake, would you, sweetheart? We invent ways of not doing what we need to do. Here's that scripture. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. I got a question for you. Who believed in you? I want you to think about who was that person who loved you just the way you are, as Billy Joel once sang in a song. You thinking about that person? There's not a person here who's thinking of the 10 people who had their back through life. If you're the average person, I've asked this question a few hundred times in my life, you'll come up with, well, there was one, there was two. The average is somewhere between one and two. But not many of us have a plethora, plethora, one of my favorite words that comes from the greatest movie ever made, The Three Amigos. <laughs> Would you say I had a plethora of piñatas? I won't go into that, but it's, uh, I hate to, I shouldn't admit this publicly, but I've memorized the entire movie from beginning to end. Of course, my wife, Mrs. Uppington, the firstborn, this is the most sophomoric movie I've ever seen. We all have our own individual things, that's okay. Uh, but here's the thing, I say, you know what? If you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he didn't get there by himself. And you had people in your life who believed in you. Well, here's the irony of ironies. The creator of the universe, he believes in you. He's got your back. And he loves you flawed to the core as you are. You don't have to get cleaned up. You don't have to be better. You just have to submit your heart to him. John Wooden the former UCLA basketball coach, won like 10 or 12 national titles. He's quite a man. He loved God. He was a friend of Lute Olson, who was our basketball coach at Arizona. Coach Olson used to bring him in unannounced, no fanfare, bring him into the practice. He'd come over and just talk to the Arizona ball players. But John Gooden, interesting enough, never told his team to go out and win. Isn't that interesting? As a coach who wins national championships, you never tell your team to win. What did he tell them? He told them to play the game of basketball the way it should be played. And I'd share that with you this morning. Hey, you live that Christian life the way it should be lived. Are you going to live it perfectly? No. Are you going to have turnovers? Yes. Are you going to lose the ball? Yes. Are you going to miss shots? Yes. But here's, here's something to think about. The sin that you're going to engage in this week, whatever it is, guess what? It's already forgiven. Jesus didn't come to this earth to start a new religion, okay? And, and that's one of the toughest things, I think, for people to get through their thick skull, that he just loves you. He just loves you. He wants what's best for you. And so that submission thing to each other is pretty difficult. Now, I travel a lot of circles, and I'm telling you, a lot of Christians love to speak in Christianese. And I have to tell you, Christianese drives me up the wall. In fact, on our own home church, we had a guy, I could tell you his name, you'd know who he was, a famous singer, Christian artist. And he concluded his uh, concert with the song, uh, To God Be the Glory. What's the name of that song? Great Things He Has Done. Anyway, it's a wonderful song. It gives me chills when somebody sings that with a great voice. Okay, And I came up to him afterward. I just shook his hand and told him it was nice to meet him. And I said, that was really wonderful. Thanks for sharing. He looks at me and says, oh, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. I remember thinking, I could have sworn I saw his lips move. <laughs> but here's what I'm telling you folks in Corey, PA today. You go out of this church 
and you speak in Christianese, and you're not going to bring one person to Christ Jesus, not a one. But you know what? If you're a good friend, a helping hand, there's a guy up in Michigan who was the head of the of the uh, counseling ministry of their church. Well, I'll never forget him because he shared with me once when he was up there speaking that he lived next to a Bible thumper, he said. He called him the Bible thumper because this guy was overzealous and every time he came outside, he was inviting him down to his church for the hot dog roast or the quartet of men that were coming to sing or whatever. He said, it just got to a point where we saw this guy outside, we just went inside. He said, Kevin, one day I was trying to fix my lawnmower and things were not going well. And I was kicking that sucker and I was using language that a seaman might use at sea. He says, all of a sudden, the Bible thumper appeared. But he said, but this time, now listen to this line. This time, he left his Bible at home. I'll never forget that. He said, he helped me fix my lawnmower. He said, Kevin, as I track my spiritual pilgrimage with Christ, I have to tell you, it started in that back lawn that day when that guy came and simply just helped me fix my lawnmower. Sometimes in our zealousness, you know, to save people, you know, we have to remember, hey, we don't do the saving, you know. We let the Holy Spirit do that. It's interesting how that works, isn't it? My favorite chapter in the little book, The Way of the Wise, is entitled, uh, You're the Potter and I'm the Clay. But I do have a few suggestions. <laughs> I love that title because it's so much like us. There's so many times in my life, I don't know about you, where I'm driving along life's way and I say to God, Hey, Lord, I got this one. I got this one, Lord. Hey, why don't you sit right there? I'll take the wheel for a while. And I drive along life's way and I'm so stupid. I'm thinking, see, I can drive, I can drive, crash. And when you crash and you run off the road and you find yourself in the ditch, what's the first word out of your mouth? Lord, is that you, Lehman? Yeah. Could you just call me the little tow truck, get me out of there? It's on the way, fat boy. Be there in a few minutes. He is able and just to what? Forgive us of our sins. If you're like me, let me tell you what you've done in your life. Oh, Lord, I'm yours, all 96%. All I want is dominion over that 401K. All I want is dominion over this little 4%. Lord, you've got to admit that's a good deal. 96 for you, 4 for me. No, that's not how it works. I mentioned we, we worship a jealous God. He wants all of you. And that submission is not a one-time submission. It's concurrently. You're submitting, Lord, this is your day. Lead me. Lead my thoughts. Take me where I need to go. Bless my life and people around me, Lord. Do you ever wonder why God's grace is so abundant? Could it have anything to do with the fact that you and I need it? You know, when Jesus came out of the tomb on that Easter, why didn't he just all of a sudden whoosh, take off for heaven? Goodbye, I'm out of here. Why did he allow people to see him? Why did he stop and talk to a group of over 500 people? Why? Could it have something to do with the fact that Jesus himself knows how difficult it is for some of us to believe? What a thought, that he really does know what's best for us. The scripture says he knows the number of hairs on our head. In fact, a few of you made it easier for Jesus. It was good. You know, I'm married to Mrs. Uppington. You've heard a little bit about that woman. She's something else. But uh, it was uh, the fall, and we're out for dinner, and all of a sudden she came to one of those points. Oh, oh, she says at dinner, which always upsets me because I know I, she's got something for me to do. Oh, honey, she says, it's Friday. I said, yes, honey, it's Friday. Tomorrow's Saturday. Honey, listen, we have the Johnsons coming for dinner tomorrow night, and I agreed to go and decorate that thing for the women at church, and she starts off on her little to-do list. Just listen, this is very important. I, I don't have, see, she doesn't have time to make her dessert some scratch, which is her style. So she says, listen, this is very important. Tomorrow morning, I want you to go to Marie Callender's Pie Shop. Now listen to me, this is important. I want you to get one pumpkin pie and one lemon meringue pie. That's 
one pumpkin, and she's repeating. I went to college 13 years. I think I can retain the thought, one pumpkin and one lemon meringue pie overnight. So I get up the next morning. Football starts out west at 9 o'clock in the morning, a three-hour difference between here and where I live. And I get up. She's gone. I said, I'm going to go get those stupid pies and get this done with. So I go over to Marie Kellner's Pie Shop. I walk in. Big banner greets me. Pumpkin pie, regularly $10.99, $5.99. What do you do? Two pumpkin. One lemon meringue. I bring home the pies. I start watching football. I start thinking about that pie. I go out. Anybody ever do this? I went out. I got a little sliver of the pie. You ever get a little sliver of pie? With pumpkin pie, they're really, it's firm pie. It can, whoom. I mean, you, they're like popcorn shrimp. So I went out and brought the whole pie in, okay? And I'm watching football, and I got a knife, and I'm just doing this little slice at a time. And before long, I mean, I look down at the pie. There's, there's one little measly piece of pie left. And I come to the stark realization, I ate almost the whole pumpkin pie. Now what do you do? Your wife's going to be home within an hour, an hour and a half. What do you do? You eat the evidence. <laughs> I ate the whole pie. About an hour and a half later, sure enough, I hear her come through the front door, and I hear her yell from the kitchen, Oh, honey, thank you for getting the pie. You're so sweet. I'll never forget this as long as I live. A few minutes later, she puts her little pretty face around the corner and says, Honey, she said, I just made a, a pot of coffee. Would you like just a little piece of pumpkin pie? Now listen to what I tell her. I said, No, honey, I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be good. Yeah. When I say we're flawed to the core, I mean we're flawed to the core. Hey, how many of you, let me ask you, I'd like to see a show of hands on this. How many of you have pictures in your home Maybe they're on your refrigerator door that little kids drew for you. Where are you? Put your hands up. Oh, look at all those people. Now, here, here's the question. Are those drawings any good? Good. I said they're downright precious, Lehman. My little grandson, Timmy, he drew that picture of that, uh, that airplane for his Grammy. Ma'am, I talked to Timmy. That's a dinosaur. <laughs> well, it's still precious. And I submit to you this morning, this Sunday morning, that when God looks at you and I, he sees these little imperfect pictures that don't have it all together. And yet he what? He loves us. You know, as a speaker, I've been lucky and blessed. I mean, I've spoken all over. I spoke at the Pentagon. I mean, I've spoken in Hawaii, every state in the union except Montana. The people of Montana do not like me. I'm convinced of it. But I've had all kinds of wonderful speaking opportunities. But when I think of really fun places to speak, I've spoken in three all African-American churches in my lifetime. And it is so much fun to speak in an African-American church. Let me tell you why. When you say something, they talk back. Okay. They talk and talk. If they get silent, you're in trouble. In fact, I'll never forget, I was in Columbus, Ohio, at a place called Rama Fellowship. And the church, well, the church was right basically in the ghetto. The hotel they put me in, I was right in the edge of it. It was a Marriott Residence Hotel. And I'll always remember that because on the same pavement was one of my favorite restaurants, the Waffle House. And, of course, my wife, Mrs. Uppington, to quote her, I wouldn't set foot in a Waffle House. It's below her, several, several degrees below that woman. I happen to like the place. In fact, I was there once, and I saw a waitress with a full set of teeth. I'll never forget that. <laughs> but anyway, I come down the first day as a young black kid behind the counter, and he greets me with, uh, good morning, sir. I said, good morning. I said, hey, any fat chicks looking for me this morning? I wish you could have seen the look on this kid's face. 
cooking for me this morning? No, sir. I said, well, if any fat chicks come by looking for me, you tell them they're too late because I'm on my way to the Waffle House to get me some breakfast. He chimes in. He says, oh, I love the Waffle House. I love that pork chop sandwich smothered and covered. So I go have my breakfast. I come back, got a little aluminum thing covered up, put it down in front of the skid. He says, what's that? I said, pork chop sandwich smothered and covered. Have a great day. I'm out. I'm gone. I come down the next day, same kid's there. This time, he, he, he greets me a little bit more enthusiastically. Oh, hey, good morning, sir. How are you today? I said, hey, I'm great. Any fat chicks looking for me today? Now, listen to what he says. He said, no, sir, but I'm keeping my eye out for you. <laughs> I said, well, if any fat chicks come by, you tell them, they're too late because I'm on my way to get my, some breakfast. And I come back and I repeat myself a second time. I bring him back another aluminum thing. And I go to leave. He says, no, no, come here. I want to I wanna, I wanna talk to you. What do you do? He says, what do you do? I said, uh, what do I do? He said, I, I, I'm a joy spreader. He said, say what? I said, I'm a joy spreader. He said, what's a joy spreader? I said, every place I go, I spread a little joy. And I go to leave. He said, no, wait, wait, wait. Come on. What, what are you doing here in Columbus? I said, well, actually, I'm speaking down here at this church right down the street, Rhema Fellowship. He said, really? He says, I know a couple of dudes that go there. I said, really? I know the big dude. And you know what? He loves you and I. I'm out. You know, sometime in life, what you do is you plant the seed. But you know, it's easy to say the ministry of this church starts here. The reality is the seeds are planted here, but it really starts once we go out that door. And you go to work tomorrow. And you rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus. And it's the things that you do in the way you say it and how you live your life where somebody is going to say to you, hey, what makes you tick? I've been on television shows where I've heard God say, hey, Lehman, you're on. And you had to, you know, you proclaim who you are and what you believe. Is it popular today? No, you get hammered in every corner. But be assured that Almighty God in all of his wisdom loves you and I. When you get old like me, I'm in all kinds of hall of fames and wall of fames. They think you're going to die soon until they got to honor you in some way. But I got a call from my high school. Remember, I graduated fourth in the class. I got a call from my high school, and they wanted to put me on their wall of fame in Williamsville, New York. And I didn't even ask when it was. I just said, I'll be there. I had to, I had to see that in my own eyes. I want to be on the wall of fame. I'm going up there. Well, my mother lived to be 95 years old, so she was 90 at the time. And we drove up from Jamestown, New York, where she was in a little Lutheran home there where she lived. And uh, we had the best mother-son conversation on the way up. And she was so proud of her youngest son. We have pictures we found in her Bible of me with Oprah Winfrey and Phil Donahue and Regis Philbin and all these shows I did over the years. She was proud of her youngest son and then some. She loved her three kids more than anything. And she, she's saying, oh, honey, I'm so proud of you. And this is so wonderful. And I said, hey, mom, remember the night the Amherst police brought me home? She said, oh, I do. She said, but you are such a good boy. <laughs> and I said, remember the time I got caught driving golf balls toward the New York State Thruway? Oh, I do, you little scallywag, but you are such a good boy. And everything I brought up, she had the same answer. I was such a good boy. Let me leave you with this thought, and I'll close. It reminds me of Romans eight thirty-nine. Nothing separates you from the love of Christ. Nothing you can do separates you from the love of Christ. He loves you just as you are. There's a little scripture over in uh, Solomon, Song of Solomon 2.15 that says, the little foxes are ruining the grapevines. You know, for some of you, there's some 
little things that are ruining your grapevines this morning. And some of those things revolve around the fact that there's some things you did in life that you've never shared with anybody, not one person. You've kept it in all these years, and it still eats you alive from time to time. I'm asking you to run down here and tell the whole church about whatever you did. No, not at all. But I'm telling you that you have to confess that to the Lord, and the Lord will forgive you. The problem with sin is like pizza. Sin and pizza have some similarities. Because you eat the pizza at 8 o'clock, you still taste it at 10 o'clock at night. And so it is with sin because the Scripture says once you confess your sin, it's like it never happened in the Lord's eyes. The problem is that we're human. We retain those thoughts, and many of us are the guilt gathers of life, which doesn't help anybody. So let me just close this in prayer, and we'll go. Again, it was a pleasure to be with you. Uh, if some of you want a book signed or something back there, I'll be more than happy to do that. <sighs> Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these uh, people who love you and worship you. Lord, we know, we're, we know that we're flawed to the core. And we're reminded about what St. Paul said, that he was wretched. And yet we know that uh, he loved you with all of his heart. We think of King David, Lord, who did some things in his life that were not so nice. And yet he was a man after your own heart. So, Lord, I just pray that if there's people here who struggle with this issue, that they really believe the words that you love them just as they are, flood to the core. And all that you ask is that you will receive their heart, a giving heart. You know, Lord, we give... We say we give to things. We give to charities. We give to church. I don't believe that's true. I think we give from, from our obedience to you. So, Lord, you've raised up this group of believers and givers. Let them continue to nurture each other and nurture this church. Let them be kind to their pastors and honor them in all ways. So many times, Lord, I go to churches and I see that people really don't take care of their, their head shepherd. What a shame. We appreciate these guys. We're the ones that we call. We get that phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning that we all dreaded we were going to get. So, Lord, bless these pastors. Encourage them to keep fighting the good fight in your name. So, Lord, I pray your blessing, special blessing upon each family here, every person here, everybody here has a story, and all of us need your help. On our for loving us the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. We're grateful you spent this time with us, and we hope the message today has moved you. Please be sure to join us again next week for another episode of the Salt Church Podcast. God bless, and we'll see you next time.